This show is about figuring out how to have a fantastic midlife. You know, we're looking for ideas, information, inspiration from those who are already doing it well and those who can inspire and advise us on how to do our lives well. And often that focuses on health and fitness or, or diet or, or other aspects of living a fantastic midlife. But one of the things that is surfacing more and more is the idea of caregiving. You know, a few weeks ago, we had on Andy Kay, who is an advocate for aging well as you possibly can, and really focuses through Aging Mojo, which is a platform she created to help others age healthier, wealthier, and happier. So she's really focused on supporting those in the longevity economy. And today's episode is a little different take, but still focused on that caregiving. So Matt Yarrow, he is the CMO for iAlly. He is not in midlife. Actually, he's the youngest guest we've had on the show. But what he shares can and likely will affect all of us in some way. So in our conversation, he shared several things that I was not previously aware of. And one is that it's not just midlifers who find themselves with caregiving responsibilities. You know, we think of the sandwich generation, those taking care of both kids and parents. But he mentions that, you know, a big part of that are millennials, that one in four millennials are caregivers for parents or grandparents. I had no idea. He mentioned that Alzheimer's is a leading cause of death in the U.S. And in the episode, he talks about it being number six. I just looked it up and it's number seven, but it was just pushed out to number seven by COVID. And so still a very high leading cause of death and early onset Alzheimer's can affect those as young as in their early fifties. So me, you, uh, I just was not aware at all. And I think of myself as someone who stays informed, but hearing this, I was amazed that they're just not part of the bigger national conversation. And that really raises some huge questions. Like what if you find yourself in a caregiver role, where can you turn for help? What are some of the challenges that you could expect to be facing or, or maybe are already facing and experiencing? And what if you're the one who some days needs caregiving from your kids? How do you start preparing for that? So Matt is not a healthcare expert. Rather, he approaches the conversation from his experiences as a care provider and in his role supporting caregivers. So this is, like I say, it's a little bit different conversation and it had a huge impact on me just as I'm thinking about these issues, wondering why they're not part of the bigger conversation, considering that they affect so many people. And if you do find yourself in that position, hopefully there's something you find in this episode that will really help you out or help others that you know in that position. So thank you so much for listening to Midlife Mastery. The show continues to grow and grow through word of mouth, getting more and more listeners, more and more subscribers showing up in more and more countries. And I'm just really excited to have all of you along for, for this ride, for this journey, and am grateful to be a part of your own, your own journey. So anyway, that's probably enough for me. I, I'm, if you're ready to, to play bigger, do better, figure out how to have that phenomenal midlife, figure out how to help others in, in that caregiving. Well, let's get started. Welcome, everyone. Today's guest is Matt Yarrow. And Matt, really, really excited to have you on the show today uh, because you have an interesting story that not only I, I think we can learn from, but uh, I think some, a lot of folks will be able to relate to it. So first off, if you could just give a quick introduction, like how do you introduce yourself to people? What do you tell them? Who are you? What are you about? 
Hi, Brock. Thanks for having me, by the way. So it's a really good question. A lot of people, when I meet them, because I sort of kind of came up through social media, they somewhat have an idea of who I am, um, in a sense. Now, if I meet someone for the first time, I'd say, you know, I'm Matt Yarrow. I am the chief marketing officer for a small startup called iAlly. We are an app, future app, I should say. We're a web app at the moment. Our mobile app comes out later this year. But we help provide resources for family caregivers, especially millennial caregivers, because there's a lot of us out there and that number is growing continually. I also am an advocate for the Alzheimer's Association. And in 2021, I was the chair for the Walk to End Alzheimer's, just marketing in general. So yeah, kind of a long title there, but basically um, I like to help people. You hit several topics there that I really want to dig into, Matt. I mean, one is around millennial caregivers. One is around just kind of your story. Like, how did you get involved in this? And, uh, you know, I'm also curious because you are bringing technology to a very human issue. And, you know, so all of those are things I was interested in kind of covering today. And like you, you mentioned, let's just start with like millennial caregivers, because that is not something I would have thought about that as being a big demographic. But what is it? Why, why, is, why is millennial caregiving becoming such a thing? I mean, do you, are there any statistics around that? I, I'm not even sure what to ask you there, Matt. Just, yeah. I didn't know, I didn't know it was a thing and it's a thing and I want to find out more about it. <laughs> no, that's a, honestly, that's a really, really good question. And where you're coming from, believe me, it's a hard one to place. So let's start from the beginning, I guess, in a sense with the millennial caregivers. So think about your family growing up and all of your friends' families. Probably, you know, bigger families in a sense. Probably had multiple brothers and sisters, at least three to four, you know, on average back then. And that's probably on the smaller side. I mean, my dad had six siblings. I'm not only a chair, so I guess, you know, evens out. But so nowadays, just the family size is different in my generation. We I would say our average family is two kids. I mean, at maybe three, but so you got smaller families first. Second, people are living longer. So that means you got grandparents that need care. And let's say I'm the grandkid now. Okay, I'm a, I'm a millennial. My parents might be suffering from Alzheimer's or my grandparent might be suffering from Alzheimer's or any other number of cognitive diseases. So you know, we got to care for grandparents and we have to care for our own parents. So, I mean, there's already more people that need care and there's less people in our families to provide care. Like I said, there's usually, you know, one or two siblings max and half the time, you know, only one of those people are actually caring for, for the person that needs care. So for a statistic, I'll lay this one out for you. One out of every four millennials is a caregiver for an aging loved one. Really? Yes. And not just for an aging loved one, for an aging loved one that has dementia or Alzheimer's. That's how many people in this nation are required care from just millennials. So it's growing like crazy. You know, when I first started, kind of got down this road, I never thought that I'd be focusing on millennials. But I mean, once we started looking into it, we realized, wow, like somebody needs to do something for us because no one is helping us. No one's coming to save us. You know, we've never had a lifeline before this. When I graduated high school, it was in 08. And, you know, I'm from Detroit. And 
the economic crash, there was no jobs where I was from. So, you know, between economic crashes, you know, just everything, wars. I mean, we we didn't we didn't go to war, but well, we just had a, we've had a different road than you know the generations before us, and we have a lot to fix. And caregiving is a major one for millennials. So why is it from your, your perspective, your experience, like I say, you know, it's not talked about like one out of four, you know, it's like 25%. That's kind of a big number of people. I mean, the millennial generation is a huge generation. The people they'd be caring for, you know, the, the boomers and the, you know, the greatest generation that preceded them, those are big generations. Like that's a lot of people. And so why does this not make it to like mainstream consciousness? Well, I think everyone just has always thought that Medicare and Medicaid like covered like caregiving and things like that. But the truth is there's not a lot of government assistance for families either. So people just don't want to deal with caregiving until something happens and they absolutely have to. And when that happens, nobody's prepared and it's just, it's hell for the family. And when you're a millennial and you have no other siblings to rely on and you have to care for a parent, that becomes your entire life. You can't get a job. I mean, you don't have relationships with friends. You lose relationships with your spouse. It consumes your life. And it's just, at that point, there's nothing you can do. But nobody decides to plan ahead. Nobody plans ahead. I guess the obvious question that with no obvious answer is, so what's the solution, Matt? And I know there's no answer to that. So let, let me ask a different question here. What is your involvement then? Like, how did you get started here? So, it, I mean, as I understand it, you were supporting those who are supporting others, right? Like that's yes. kind of your role and helping provide them support. So with like iAlly, you mentioned it's a web app now, it's going to be a phone app. What does that do? How does that work? So how, I'll just, we'll start with uh, how I got started because cool. it will kind of uh, help lead into iAlly. So when I was 12, my mom left her company and started her own business, which was a home care company. So since the age of 12, you know, caregiving has been just a part of my family. And then, you know, about six months into college, freshman year, at the time it wasn't for me. So I left to go work for the family business with my mom. And by 21, I was client care manager of two different offices. So that means I would go into everyone's home and make sure that the home was safe make sure that the our caregivers were providing the best quality care for the families, but just really listening to the families, listening to see what their needs were. How could I make their life better as the client care manager? But I did this for about 10 years. So I met with thousands of families in the Metro Detroit area. I mean, thousands. So I've seen, you know, everything under the sun and what I realized is that all these families just want someone to tell them that it's okay. You know, people just want that peace of mind that their loved one is going to be safe in their own home or wherever they're being taken care of. And the reality is even coming from the paid caregiver side, there's nobody wants to do this job. We don't, it's hard enough for these home care companies to hire people, yet alone like provide quality care to families. And nursing homes are falling apart. They're even worse. Any type of senior living, you're getting very low quality care at a very overpriced rate. And it's just, the whole system's just falling apart. 
So with that said, a couple of years back, I just really when COVID hit, COVID changed my life. So I couldn't go out and meet with these families anymore. And I was prepping to become the youngest home care franchise owner in our little franchise network ever. And it was in this big deal. I'd you know, been working my whole life up for this and pandemic hit. And I couldn't go out in the field and help people. I had to just stay on the phone with people and families were terrified and nobody could work. And I just, it changed my life completely. I walked away from home care in general. I started my own little website, actually, the carenect.net, which isn't going on anymore. And I kind of just wanted to help caregivers, but I didn't really know how I was going to do that at the time. And then I found iAlly. It was just Lucinda, who's a millennial caregiver herself. And actually, she sort of inspired me to really look into how big is the millennial caregiver issue? Because, yeah, I had been in, you know, thousands of homes, but I hadn't really seen millennials like that were in those homes. You know, they weren't the primary caregivers. And I had been doing this for 10 years. And after I looked into it, and after I went online and was trying to raise money actually for the Detroit walk End Alzheimer's, um, I was shocked at how many millennials in general were sharing their stories on Instagram. Like it, it blew my mind, just the amount of them. And about a year after the, I first uh, crossed paths with Lucinda, I reached out to her and I said, you know, I love what you're doing. And we're both doing similar ideas, but we're both better at different areas. We should just team up and I will let you absorb uh, CareNet and I will join iAlly and, you know, let's see what happens. And a year later, I mean, I couldn't be happier. We were just, all of the mobile app hasn't launched yet. We, we have helped so many millennial caregivers realize that one, you're not alone in this. Isolation is the biggest issue with caregivers, whether they're millennials or anyone. Isolation and burnout. And, you know, it consumes all of your time and it drains all your energy. And what we do is we saw that because Lucinda's been a millennial caregiver for years for her dad. I've helped many, many families with this. We realized that one of the biggest things that people are missing when they become a caregiver is community. Like something so simple that so many other people already provide. But what we're going to do is we're going to not only just provide a community just for caregivers, we're going to also collect as many resources and just tools that we can give these caregivers so that they can provide care for their loved one confidently because that's the biggest thing in caregiving too is that nobody knows how to do it because it just gets thrust upon you when you're not ready for it so yeah what we do at IIS is we provide community resources and whatever you need as a caregiver to just make you be the best you basically well you know when, when you mentioned it Matt I mean it it sounds kind of obvious as you describe it. I mean, it, it all makes sense in that when you think about it, like if you're a caregiver, it's not something that's really talked about a lot, at least not that I've come across. And 
it would, it seems like it'd be very easy to feel isolated. Like if you don't know this is going on with other people and the care is being in the home, it's not like you're running into people while you're doing caregiving and it's, and you probably don't have time. And, you know, if you're trying to work a job, trying to care for a loved one, all of that, I, I could, I can just picture how isolating that could be. And so odd question, but I kind of wonder, like, why hasn't that been solved before? Like, like, like you say, when you describe it, it makes total sense. Like community is important. Resources are important. No one knows where to start. They're thrust into it. They're doing the best they can. Burnout would seem to be terrible because it's not like you can walk away from it. Like you have to keep giving care. (laughs) You know, it's not like just a bad job or something. You go find another job. You know, it's you're, you're there. And so it, it not only does it surprise me that it's as big as it is and I mean, it makes sense the way you describe it, but that this hasn't really been addressed before in the way that you're addressing it. And I realize there's not a question mark at the end of that, Matt. It's more of an observation, but why haven't, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm a little baffled. You know, Brock, it's funny because I ask myself that almost every single day because I, I don't know. I It seems so obvious to me too, but nobody decides to do it and when they do they try to do it in a way that they think is going to help a caregiver but i just i don't know if these people have ever really been a caregiver uh, so for example there are about a million different caregiving apps out there okay there's a million of them but they all do the same thing they track your loved one's vitals they you know they track doctor's appointments and then they include what's called the care circle so like you and you know, your siblings could all connect on the app about your loved one. Well, that sounds really great. And that's why they're all getting a bunch of money and they're all getting funded. And there's a million of them in the app stores. The issue is, like I said earlier, many millennial caregivers are the only one in their family providing care. So right there, that that care circle does nothing. Second, millennials have a billion different apps for tracking things you know just adding another schedule to us or anybody for that matter really doesn't help and then finally doctor's appointments are i mean your vitals yeah that's important but it's you know it's not the most important thing in that instance if your loved one doesn't have a heart issue basically if they have a heart issue yes that's important but you're obviously going to have other tools that are monitoring that as well so Basically, everyone thinks they know how to, you know, fix the issue. But like I said, there's a billion of these apps and they're all struggling to get users. So nobody's really addressing the issue. Well, and it sounds like they're focused more on the care receiver versus the caregiver. Yeah, they sort of, like I said, they think they know what a caregiver wants. But when you, I guess a lot of them are coming from the idea that, you know, families have multiple people in the family. and that there's more than one caregiver taking care of a lot of people. And the truth is, in my generation, that's not the case. It's one person. So, yeah, it's just, you know, it's it's just something that people don't like to address. And, I mean, long-term care as an industry is a huge, huge moneymaker. So, you know, in their eyes, what's not broken, you know, doesn't matter. Yeah, well, and I I can imagine that, you know, long-term care is more focused on, Hey, bring them to this place that bring them to a facility versus let's support you in taking care of them. I mean, that's, I'm guessing, but as an industry, that kind of makes sense. 
as you got into it, I'm curious, Matt, what most surprised you? I mean, because it sounds like this has been a little bit of a journey for you. Like, I mean, you, you this past, what, two years, you said, since the pandemic, had, you really kind of gotten into it. What's been most surprising for you? So what's been most surprising for me is how early people are becoming impacted by Alzheimer's. So, but really, I mean, it's shocking, Brock. Like, so you said you're, what, 50? You're yeah. 50 this year, last uh, year? L- right last year, there? yeah. Okay, so you would be shocked at how many millennials who I've met just in online in the last two years whose parent is under 55 who suffers from early onset Alzheimer's or dementia. And those people that suffer from the early onset it seems like they get it bad where, you know, there's obviously different levels and stages to any cognitive decline, but the ones that get it early, they either last for a long time, but they have the worst sort of just outbreaks and, you know, they're, they're physically healthy, but their mind is so gone that like they last for a long time, which is, you know, a good thing. But when they're that gone mentally, it's really not like you're a parent anymore. You know what I mean? So you have those cases where it's a really long, just dragging disease, or you have the ones where it's, you know, physically they decline out of nowhere. Like they just like are there and they're sort of showing issues. And then like all of a sudden the next day, like they're horrible. And then two weeks later, they're dead. Hmm. And it's just like, you know, they, a month before they had, you know, a couple little memory things, like they forgot someone's name or something, but nothing that would make you think anything. And then a month later, they're gone. So it's just, uh, it's crazy. I mean, it's, it's, it makes me scared as someone that's 31 and who has parents that are, my mom actually just turned 60 last week. My dad will turn 60 in about four months. And I, I mean, my dad retired last year. And since he retired, I've just noticed him having little, like, just different, just like little memory things. And it, it worries me. It worries me a lot because people don't realize, I mean, it's, they say, oh yeah, you know, they're just getting old there. It's just their memory. It's just what happens with old age. It's not. And it's happening at 50. So the second your parent turns 50, the second you turn 50, just keep it in mind. It's not just, you know, here or there. It's it's out there. And what's even worse is that Alzheimer's statistically increases about 150% each year. So the amount of people that get Alzheimer's each year increases about 150% from the year before. So let's, I'm trying to think if I have the statistic right here. So basically between 2000 and 2020, heart disease and deaths from heart disease have dropped about, I think it's about eight to 10%. So in that time, Alzheimer's deaths have actually, okay, so here's the actual stat. Alzheimer's, in that time, in those 20 years, Alzheimer's deaths have increased 150%. So in 20 years, I mean, the deaths from Alzheimer's have only gone up double and a half and heart disease is going down so there's clearly no stopping it it's getting worse and there's no there's nothing 
on the market that can help anybody because none of the drugs that are out there right now prevent it or stop it or even slow it. It just, there's nothing out there. So if you're having memory issues, just don't play it off and don't let it sit for too long. Well, so there's a lot of thoughts from, from there, Matt. I mean, one of them is just, well, one, I'm really surprised to hear that, you know, 55 and Alzheimer's are words used in the same sentence. And, you know, for in, in my mind, and I, cause I have not been paying attention that, you know, that's heart disease. Yes. Worry about that. Great. You know, that's on my radar, like Alzheimer's uh, that's like worry about in a couple of decades on my radar. And clearly that's not the case. So learn something today. And thinking about it, so yeah, I mean, I'm otherwise physically healthy, strong, and it would be a challenge. I, I can see that being a real challenge because, you know, when typically when I think of, you know, supporting someone with, with Alzheimer's, you know, they're old, they're frail. That's what comes to my mind, not, you know, they're robust, they're strong, <laughs> and they're physically very healthy. I mean, that's a whole nother set of challenges. I mean, you know, so, I mean, if we just kind of say, hey, if my mind were to go, you know, get Alzheimer's, um, like my daughter who's early 20s, I mean, she's half my weight. Like, I mean, like, I, I can't even imagine just trying to manage the physical aspect, not the mental, emotional, everything else that would go with it. That would be such a challenge. Like, what's what's the first step? You mentioned none of the drugs cure it. So, like, what do you do? <laughs> So, you know, what's funny about what you just said, though, Brock, is that so this is uh, my tip of like some people say, you know, like so when you're in the situation, you're watching someone with Alzheimer's and they're having that anxiety attack and they're sort of getting frustrated. Like, what do you do? And my tip has always been the reflection method. So what I mean by that is you wouldn't believe how many times I've been in a room with, you know, a daughter of the person with Alzheimer's who we're all sitting in a room together and the person with Alzheimer's can't recognize their own daughter. But that person with Alzheimer's, if I ask them a question about their childhood, if I ask them a question about what their dad did for a profession or about what their mom's daily routine was growing up, they could answer that question. They couldn't recognize their own daughter sitting next to them, but they could answer questions from their deep past. So it's memory is a funny thing, but yeah, actually knowing something about, you know, your parents past is a really good thing because when they start having those anxiety attacks and getting in those frustrations and the physical attacks where they know they can't remember, I always say, ask them something about their very bit, you know, their early past, because they can still remember that somehow. Another question that, that comes out of all that is, Okay, so Alzheimer's is, is increasing. And my first thought would be, well, we're just living longer. And so we see it more. But I mean, you also said, hey, it can kick in, you know, 55 or so. So it's not just a factor of our longevity. I'm, and I'm, I mean, you're not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. But are there any theories as to why we're seeing more and more of it over the past couple of decades? So a little bit. So basically what happens when you get Alzheimer's is it's a protein blockage like in your brain. So even sort of same idea as like a heart attack with, you know, a blockage in your veins, but this is a protein blockage in your neurologic pathways. And what causes that blockage to happen? They can pick out the proteins, no problem, but they can't figure out why. Unfortunately, 
once you have Alzheimer's, you have it. And that's it at this point. What we should be doing is trying to aim our focus on people 50 and up, like we do with, you know, cancers and all these other types of diseases where we do checks early on. And we get, you know, we gave people in the early 50s, maybe the new drug that's coming out that could maybe help prevent it long term. But there's nothing that is just going to fix your brain, basically, in a sense. So it's just a lost battle right there. So is it, I mean, lifestyle things like, I mean, you know, you can diabetes, you can change your lifestyle, heart issues, you can change your lifestyle and at least help, if not mitigate, like with Alzheimer's, you know, once we start hitting 50 or so, are there things we can do to uh, better the odds? (laughs) So from what I can tell, I mean, there, it, there is, and It'll probably help, but there's nothing that's definitive. What I will say is that challenge yourself, challenge your mind, whether it be little puzzles, you know, one a week or just something, you know, to make you think, Uh, you know, that's what they give a lot of Alzheimer's patients are some type of puzzle where it's not too complicated for them, but enough to, you know, kind of get both sides of the brain working in a sense, you know, find something that you enjoy. Whether it likes to be puzzles, word crosswords, I don't know. But I recommend highly just staying active with your brain. Even just reading. Reading is a great one. But yes, keeping active with your brain as much as you can. Stimulating your mind, not just watching meaningless TV, basically. Because that they always said, watch your brain. So they always told me growing up. But turns out it actually sort of does. So so I, I've obviously learned a ton because I don't know anything about this topic really, but before we started talking, what haven't I asked you, Matt? Like what questions do you, do you normally get? Or let me ask this. What do you wish people knew? What do I wish people knew? That's a good one. I said, I wish people realized that this is something that affects everybody. Alzheimer's is the sixth leading cause of death in the United States annually. Not for people over a certain age, for everybody. It's the sixth leading cause of death. Alzheimer's is just one of five forms of dementia. So dementia just in general is a lot bigger umbrella. And it's a lot, it affects everybody. It affects everybody. And you may not have any family history. Doesn't matter. You may be healthy at 54. Doesn't matter might have it next year. I mean, like your lifestyle really doesn't impact the future in a sense with Alzheimer's. It's just, uh, that's, that's the biggest problem is that nobody knows how to fix it. No one knows how to save it. No one knows how to prevent it. And it's only impacting people at younger ages each year and more and more people are getting it every year. So yeah, basically just what I want people to know is that it's, it's out there and it's, it impacts everybody. So if your parent, you know, shows even just a little forgetfulness here and there, they're over the age of 50, start having that talk, start planning what's going to happen. You've got to have a plan for your future with your family and with your parents. So who's going to care for them? What's it's going to look like? You know, you got to keep in contact with your parents or your grandparents, whoever, um, because people get taken advantage of like crazy. And if you're not local and you can't physically have conversations with them, they might be able to hide it. 
know, they can put on a good show like on the phone and you know, all of a sudden you find out the next day they've been giving all the money to the neighbor. I mean, it's, it's the sad stories are awful. And unfortunately there aren't very many good stories that come out of it. So, I mean, I've seen mayors, I've taken care of multiple mayors. I mean, everybody, every single walk of life gets it. Professional athletes. I mean, scientists, it just, it affects everybody. Professors. It's, it's sad and nobody has a cure. So. All right. So Matt, this, this is sounding kind of bleak. And however, I, I know one thing you've really committed your life to it. So obviously you're not seeing this as, as bleak and hopeless as it sounds, or you've got some hope out there. So kind of what is your vision for, you know, kind of, kind of your involvement and, and where this goes, like what keeps you going in it? So it's funny. So I went to my first Detroit walk to end Alzheimer's, which if you don't know, the walk to end Alzheimer's is in every single major city in the United States, plus even in the smaller cities. I mean, every state has multiple and they're a one day event. They're awesome. They raise so much money for the Alzheimer's Association, which is the number one nonprofit for Alzheimer's research, family care, just everything in general. With that said, yeah, I went to my first one at like 13. My mom just took me there. And then a couple of years ago, my coworker and I, the year the pandemic hit, actually, I had a millennial coworker. She was very involved in raising funds. So her and I decided to get really involved and see how many, how much we could raise that year. And we raised 10,000 during the height of the pandemic for our, for our walk to end Alzheimer's team. And like I said, I had gone to the event, but I'd never really raised funds. So that was, it was interesting, but it, when I was raising funds, that's what made me aware of how big the issue was. And that's what made me realize how many people out there that are my age, whose parents have it, whose parents have died already from it that are younger than my parents. And so that's why last year I got even more involved with it and was part of the planning committee and the marketing committee for the Detroit Walk. And I don't know, next year I only see myself getting more involved and getting more involved with the Alzheimer's Association corporate level and things like that. I just, I like getting back and the work that they do is by far above and beyond what everyone else does. But yeah, just in general, um, I just, I like helping people and I've, they were the first nonprofit I worked with when I was like 13 and I only see myself getting more involved at 31. So. Well, where is iAlly going next? I mean, obviously the, the app will come out that will help connect people to community, help connect people to resources. I mean, what kind of, once that's out, what's the next step? That is another good question. Now mobile apps coming out later this year and Sky's the limit from there, honestly. We are very excited about it. We, man, I just, to the moon, honestly. I, I have so much I would like to add to that, but basically I just, I can't wait for the mobile app later this year because that's going to really change where it goes from here, so. All right, fair enough. As we, as we wrap up here, Matt, what haven't I asked you? I don't know, Brock. I mean, you're really good at asking questions. <laughs> So, so we covered it all. We, we've solved the problem, ready to move forward. Well, maybe not quite solve the problem, but definitely brought some more awareness to, to it. You already mentioned that 
for, for those who are kind of seeing signs in their parents to make sure they get checked out, make sure they're, they're interacting with them, staying more active in their life, making sure there's a plan to know who's kind of doing what and when, you know, how, how that might play out. Any, any other advice you would give to someone who, who's kind of, you know, entering that space of needing to, to take care of a parent, grandparent, or even great-grandparent? Don't try to do it alone. You know, what I mean by that is that even if you can't afford help out of pocket or anything like that, don't just try to do this alone. It's not a one person job and most people try to do it alone and that's where the burnout and that's where the isolation comes from. And that's where we come in. That's where ILA comes in. We provide you with everything you could even think of without charging you money. (laughs) I mean, it's the perfect thing. We give you everything you need. But there are so many resources. There are grants beyond grants, you know, companies and nonprofits that will help pay for some respite care so that you can take a break and have someone come in for free and help care for your loved one. Just, they're just techniques on how to help properly transfer your parents. Like you said, you're that much more physically, you know, bigger than what your daughter would be able to handle. I mean, it's... If you hurt yourself caring for your loved one, who's going to care for the caregiver? So you can't hurt yourself either. You have to always stay physically the best you can as a caregiver. But I mean, you also got to realize that it's, it's not easy. So just don't try to do it yourself and ask for help. Talk to people. Ask for help. You just, you, people try to do it alone. and it doesn't end well. So where can, I mean, that's really good advice, Matt, because as you're saying that I'm thinking, yeah, I, I am the type to just try to do it myself. You know, I'll, 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 I'll get it done. And, and that works for a little while, does not work long-term. And, and it's not always the best solution because there are people out there with uh, more smarts, more experience than, than I have on any given topic, particularly one where I'm heavily emotionally involved in, like, you know, caring for a parent, caring for a grandparent. So where can people where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Where can people connect with iAlly? All right. So you can find us. It's iAlly.com, the website, i-a-l-l-y.com. Get at us on all social media. My primary ones are LinkedIn and Instagram, definitely. But I'm on Twitter too. Get at me on there. I don't use Facebook, just for the record. I have one, but you won't catch me on there. And I'm not a TikTok guy. You won't catch me on there either. I don't get it. I'll be honest. I don't get TikTok. And so, yeah. (laughs) All right. Sounds great, Matt. Well, thank you so much for being on today. Really, really appreciate this. No problem. Thank you, bro, for having me. I love your podcast. And this was awesome. Thank you.